The first scripture reading is from John 14, verses 25 through 27. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The next scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Today, we continue in our sermon series, The Bridge of Friendship. We're being inspired by a a particular book by Dr. John Perkins, titled He Calls Me Friend. We're exploring what it means to, to befriend others across differences and how God might use that or call us to 
those kinds of friendships. Not just friendships that, that just reflect commonality, but does God ever call us to, to be friends with those who are different from us? And in this sermon series, we have uh, first talked about friendship with God, that, that, that uh, the scriptures of the Old Testament speak of God being in a friendship relationship with some of those great heroes of the faith, such as Moses. Moses, Abraham, David. And then the last few weeks, we've been talking about the friendship that we have in Jesus Christ. How Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you know, I'm going to no longer call you simply servants but I'm going to call you friends. And today we look at the third person of the Trinity, of our triune God, the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with the bridge of friendship? And I'm going to suggest, being encouraged in this direction by Dr. Perkins in his book, that, that the fruit of the Spirit, the virtues that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is fruit that is meant for friendship. And in particular, the extra, the extra virtue, the extra insight, the extra of all of those virtues that we need to cross that bridge of friendship with those who are different from us and to persist or remain in friendship when the relationship might become difficult. Friendship with God. What Jesus accomplished to bridge the divide between God and humanity is experienced through the working of the Holy Spirit. Another way of putting that is this. The Holy Spirit brings the friendship of Jesus into our lives. The Spirit is with us as a close, intimate presence, continuing to teach us Jesus' teachings, to continue to remind us of Jesus. Even physical reminders in the church, like the sacrament of communion that we will celebrate together today, the Holy Spirit, we believe, moves powerfully in the elements to remind us of Christ's friendship with us. And Jesus spoke in the Gospel of John about the Spirit's role in bringing us peace, calming our troubled and fearful hearts. How many times do our fears... And the troubles of our souls keep us from opening up our lives to others in friendship. Consider the words of Jesus in John 14, verses 25 through 27. All this I have spoken while still with you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross and before he ascends to the Father. But he shares with them that they will not be alone when he is not present physically present with them. He says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the advocate. In Greek, it's the paraclete. Sometimes it's translated with the word comforter. The origin of that word comes from a court of law. When you, as someone who might be on trial, would have an advocate who, is, who speaks before the judge in your favor, who represents you. Advocacy is the primary role of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises. Earlier in John 14, Jesus describes this role in more detail and says that the Spirit is coming, quote, to help you and be with you forever. That sounds a lot like good friendship to me. What the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is described in Galatians chapter 5 in the famous passage that Craig read on the fruit of the Spirit. Now it's introduced in the context of something that's happening in the Galatian church that you might call a problem with friendliness or a friendliness crisis, meaning there's not a lot of friendliness that is happening within the church. People aren't acting as friends with each other. Paul calls believers to serve one another humbly in love and refers to Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, the, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But he quickly says that if you basically keep on biting and devouring each other, don't be surprised if the community that you're in, the relationships, get destroyed. So Paul points to kind of what's going on within the lives of people, t- taking this opportunity to share a lesson of how God, what God is working to, do, to bring about in our lives and in the life of the church, the community of faith, but also a little bit about what else, what other forces at work that's kind of keeping us from getting to the place God wants us to be. Now, this is not the the sermon, the in-depth sermon on Galatians chapter 5 and the the acts of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. There's a lot to go into with that. Uh, And we occasionally, it's so important in the life of faith, it's not going to be long before we attend to it again in, in, in sermons or in adult education classes. But what I want to point out today about that list, Craig, good for you. It's hard to read that out loud sometimes, the, that list of the acts of the flesh, because there's some really rotten things in there. But I want to point out just how many of the things in this list are relational in nature, and that, that represent conflict one person to another. And especially when there are differences between us. And we get, we get locked into our own way versus others' way. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Rage. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. 
factions and envy. Even some of the other uh, uh, vices that are listed in that list, when you really get down to it, those have a kind of a relationship, a kind of a true loving relationship destroying capacity. Like, for instance, drunkenness. That's not in that list because God just doesn't want you to have a good time. It's because drunkenness as a, as a regular way of living destroys relationships. It gets in the way of what Paul is calling us to, living humbly with one another, serving one another in love. All of these vices are the gaps that grow between us that God is seeking to bridge through friendship. And so the fruit of the Spirit might be considered the fruit of friendship, or more specifically, the fruit for friendship. When it comes down to it, the the fruit of the Spirit help us understand what is it that we need with us in order to take those steps across the bridge of friendship. To befriend someone. To be a true friend to someone. It takes particular qualities. It takes particular virtues that we bring to the relationship. And these fruits of the Spirit are produced by and empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the songs we sang early in our worship service spoke of our desire, it was really in the form of a prayer, our desire that all these wonderful aspects of God that we experience in God, the way God is toward us, compassion, compassionate, kind, gentle, forgiving, all of those things, we pray to God, God, by your Spirit's power, make that true of me that I might relate to others as you do. We know that's not an easy task. We need God's help for that. And so Paul writes, continues his text in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in our lives, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The word in this list that stuck out for me as I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit for crossing the bridge of friendship with others is forbearance. Many of us have memorized, or at least are so familiar with that list of the fruit of the Spirit. Raise your hand if you were expecting the word patience. (laughs) Some of you just shot up. It's like, where's patience in this list? That's it. It's the word forbearance. Now, I think in the New International Version that the, uh, the translators, the biblical translators who worked on that translation, chose forbearance because in the letter, Paul's letter to the Galatians, bearing one another's burdens is an important theme. And later on, just the next chapter, if you keep reading the text, Paul is going to call the church uh, of the Galatians to bear one another's burdens. 
And so this sense of, you know, Paul is basically prefiguring, kind of already sharing with the people he's writing to that he's going he's gonna to call them to bear others' burdens. And that's not an easy thing. Burdens are heavy. Burdens are inconvenient. They're difficult. Sometimes we resent having to share or carry some of another person's burden. But forbearance, the ability to, to, to carry that burden for someone. Uh, some of us who uh, uh, learned that passage in the King James Version might recognize another term that was used to translate the Greek word makrothumia. Does anyone remember that word from the King James? Long-suffering. Yeah, long-suffering. Now, patience is something, it's kind of a real friendly word. Forbearance, oh, that sounds like you're talking about something that might be a little tough. Maybe tougher than just garden variety patience. King James Version brings it to you as long-suffering. You're going to suffer for a long time. But tell me, honestly, those of you who have been in relationships with others over the long haul, sometimes long-suffering makes a lot of sense. And to know that that's the ability, that's the virtue that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, we know we need it. And here's what comes with wisdom. We especially know that others need it with us. The truth about friendship is that there's always much to bear. Much to suffer through. If the relationship between two imperfect people is to be established and to endure. We are familiar with the frustrations of friendship. I want to point out one in particular that sometimes uh, I've felt this at times, and I know it's fairly common for us to feel this way. Uh, And have you ever felt with a friendship, with a particular relationship, you you kind of, there's, there's a particular moment where a thought flashes in your mind. How come I'm always the one that initiates the contact? You ever thought that before about any relationship? So there's two different ways you can go, two major ways you can go when you think that thought. You could either go further down the road of, yeah, that person doesn't care about me. They never reach out to me. Or you could say, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to them because they're my friend and I'm their friend. So you have that choice. And I think most of us have experiences of sticking with that thought for a while and wondering, hey, what's going on here? There are times when the friendship is very unequal and we find ourselves maybe needing to to equalize our part of the friendship to kind of right-size that friendship. Those are kind of regular relationship dynamics that we have to consider But all friendships run into times of adversity. It could be the relationship itself. It could be uh, you find yourselves thinking a different thing about something, having a different opinion about something. Maybe one of you said something that was offensive or, or, uh, or forgot something. What do you do 
with that. I'm thinking right in the moment, I'm going to share with you something I forgot with a, with a friend. It was early on in a friendship, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, pastor at Calvin Presbyterian Church nearby, Neil Trainer. Uh, early on in his ministry, he actually preached his candidating sermon right here at North Creek. I got to know him early on. Uh, I was part of the, the ordination commission, the installation commission for him. I forgot to go. <laughs> Can you believe it? I actually did. I had to, yeah, they, they, they handled it without me because uh, I, I didn't have a central role. I was just, I was going to be part of this commission to represent the church. I was one of the few pastors that Neil knew in our presbytery. And I just got to admit it, I forgot to go. I called him up later when I found, when I discovered that, oh, look what I forgot. From that moment, to every single time that we have met, for a long time we were in a small group, pastor covenant group together, I have received from him nothing but forbearance and acceptance in relation to that. In no way, shape, or form has he ever even brought that up again. Now, if he watches this, Neil, you know, yes, <laughs> mea culpa, but hey, cheers to you and shout out to you and all those who because of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within them, are able to bear with others, bear with the humanity and the ups and downs in a friendship. Forbearance provides for relational resilience. Relational resilience. No matter what time it is, no matter what season that relationship is in, it's always time for the fruit of friendship. It's what Jesus is producing within us that will equip us to be good friends. And not only just to be good friends, but to allow friendship to impact our lives. Because to be in friendship is not just a one-way street. It goes both ways. What does the fruit of the Spirit in friendship look like? I want to offer you two stories that illustrate this. The first story I'm calling Crossing the Bridge of Disability. And it's the story of a friendship between Henry Nouwen and Adam Arnett. Mission historian Dana Robert, <clears throat> in her book Faithful Friendships, shares a story of one of her close personal friends, a man familiar to many Christians because he has written many books and people look to him as a, their spiritual guide, and that is a man named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was her professor when she was doing her studies at Yale Divinity School in the late 1970s, and she was close with him for the remainder of his life. Henry Nouwen was a priest, a professor, a spiritual guide, and has taught many of us about the life of prayer. Well, at a certain point in his life, he sensed a call to go to the Daybreak community near Toronto, Canada, and to live in that community. What was remarkable about that community, it was one of the La Arche communities that was established as a residential community for the disabled, and more specifically, 
a community in which those who were abled and those who were disabled could live together in community. These communities were started in Europe by a man named Jean Vanier, and, and it, it has moved, that movement has moved all throughout the world. But Henry Nouwen was called specifically to this particular community where, where they believed in bridging the divide that separated the developmentally disabled from others, hoping that all would become, as Jean Vanier put it, a beloved friend of Jesus. Now, when Henry Nouwen first entered that community, the first person he was asked to care for was Adam. Adam was profoundly disabled. He was born with severe epilepsy. <clears throat> and there was a, an, an incident in his youth where he was over-medicated, and that actually had a devastating uh, impact on the, the few faculties that he had available to him. He couldn't speak. He couldn't move on his own. He required around-the-clock care. And Henry was assigned to his morning care routine every day. Now, there were significant barriers. There was a significant distance between these two men. Yet a friendship developed. Nowen said that Adam was not only his friend, but also his teacher and guide. Listen to what he wrote about this friendship that developed I started to experience a true relationship with and love for Adam. Adam was no longer a stranger to me. He was becoming a friend and a trustworthy companion, explaining to me by his very presence what I should have known all along, that what I desire in life, love, friendship, community, a deep sense of belonging, I was finding in friendship with him. And later on he said, Adam was the one who more than any book or professor led me to the person of Jesus. Now Adam Arnett died about 10 years after Henry had moved to the, the uh, Daybreak community in February 1996. And following that, Henry Nowen wrote a draft of a book. But then he died suddenly in September of that same year. And the book was finished by a friend of Henry's. And it's a book about Adam and their friendship. Having crossed the bridge of friendship, Henry discovered that he had much to learn. And it was Adam who taught Henry how to give, but also how to receive. In Henry's words, it is not I. I mean, it is I, not Adam, who received the main benefit of our friendship. And the second story is a story that I'm labeling the blessing of shared sorrow. After the first sermon in our series, a member of our church sent me a link to a New York Times opinion column that had recently been published. The title of the column was, A Terrible Phone Call. And what came next? If you're interested in that, it was published on January 7th of this year. It was written by David French, 
who was a regular New York Times contributor. And in it, he lifts up a Swedish proverb. Shared sorrow is half sorrow. He shares the story, a recent story, of his wife Nancy being diagnosed with cancer, a very aggressive form of breast cancer. And in the time of suffering that was happening when that darkness came upon him and his wife and his family, he used this opportunity in this op-ed piece to, to share about the lights that burst through, that came shining through, the contacts that were made, the kindness that was expressed, the care that was given, the compassion that was shown from his extended family, uh, from people at his work and his wife's work. Uh, there's a beautiful testimony in this, uh, in the New York Times, of the importance of their church and how their church gathered around. Their small group began sharing, preparing meals for them and sharing meals. And even that quote, that, that Swedish proverb about shared sorrow. He knew that quote because in the men's prayer group at his church he was a part of that was shared with him. In the article he quotes Romans 12 on what it means to share someone's sorrow. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. French's column concludes with a a brief snapshot of a profound moment in the life of his wife, Nancy. Nancy was at one of her oncology appointments in the waiting room, and she saw a woman who was up at the check-in desk, obviously very troubled. Nancy went up to her and asked her how she was doing, and this woman shared with her, trembling tearfully, that she had just, just now, received a, diag- a, a devastating cancer diagnosis. And in that moment, Nancy, Nancy took her hand. And in that moment, she began sharing her burden, sharing her sorrow, remembering what it was like to be in those first moments after that cancer diagnosis. And a tearful connection was made by two people in the midst of suffering. We've talked in this series about how social status can divide us one from another. But you know, sorrow status can divide us as well. Sometimes we don't know how to respond to people who are just deeply in sorrow. Friendship provides a bridge across the divide of illness and adversity. And the fruit of friendship helps us to exercise empathy, being sensitive to and seeking to understand another's feelings or thoughts or experience. We see this in our own church life and the life we're invited into in the community of faith. Small groups, prayer ministry, and in particular right now we're thinking a lot about deacon ministry. In our book of order, the deacon ministry is, is, this is said of it, sharing in the redeeming love of Jesus Christ for the poor, the hungry, the sick, the lost, and the friendless. That's, that's why God lovingly calls people to the work of deacons.
And it's what the fruit of the Spirit empowers us to do. Now, in conclusion, friendship is something that can connect people across their differences, from social status to sorrow status, from cultural and ethnic differences to dimensions of disability. Who might the Holy Spirit be leading you to that you might cross the bridge of friendship? Next week, we'll wrap up our series by focusing on this question, and we'll have an opportunity for you to to turn that into a prayer. We have a special activity designed for our bridge of friendship, a participatory experience. So I'm giving you a heads up a week in advance, so I'll ask that question again. Who might the Holy Spirit be leading you to that you might cross the bridge of friendship? Imagine what it will take, the love you'll need in your heart, the forbearance that we'll need to be patient with them, and the patience they'll need with us, the kindness that we'll be called upon to show, and the gentleness that's required to sharpen the soft edges during those inevitable disagreements. In all of this, In all of our work of crossing the bridge of friendship, we can count on the Holy Spirit to provide what we need so that we can be true friends. Amen. Well, I'm going to walk over here to this candle set up and... uh, explain this to you before we move to the communion table. Some of you might recognize this is a place where during Advent we have our Advent candles. Uh, But this candle right here, the large one, is a Christ candle in the kind of the tradition of the church. This large white candle represents the light of Christ in our midst. And during the next two months, uh, we are going to, uh, to pray... And light this candle to represent a season of spiritual discernment that happens every year at this time. And that's the the discernment of our nominating committee that is an expression of our church. Discerning those God is calling to be deacons and elders. We have a number of uh, votive candles around the Christ candle that represent all of those positions that the nominating committee is seeking to fill. And as this discernment goes on, we might find that some of those lights get lit, representing those who have discerned God calling them, you know, through the voice of the church, but also through the voice of the Holy Spirit. But we are reminded by lighting the Christ candle that that this is a work of Christ in our midst, the work of the Holy Spirit 